Welcome back, everyone, to In the Lord's Vineyard, the podcast where we strive to see the hand of the Lord in the gathering of Israel. I'm your host, Jason Allen, and today I'm joined by my beautiful wife and co-host, Carrie Allen. Thanks for joining me, Carrie. Oh, I'm happy to be here. Now, I'm very excited about today's guest. He is someone I've got a chance to serve with in the church, actually. We worked together for several years with the Deacons Forum, and he's someone I highly admire. I look up to him not just because of his physical stature, but also because of his spiritual stature. He is a giant of a man in terms of the spirit. He's faith-filled, he loves to serve, and he's great with the youth. So we are happy to have him on here. Carrie, would you mind introducing him to us and for our listeners? Yeah. So Mike was born and raised in Boise, Idaho, and moved to Utah 11 years ago. He's been married for 15 years to Chanel McDonough. Uh, they have five kids, three boys and two girls. Mike is a basketball trainer and basketball academy owner, operator, and president of Fallout Utah. Some of his hobbies include anything sports-related. He loves to play basketball and golf, but loves to watch sports of all kinds, loves to travel, loves the outdoors, and especially exploring and hiking with his family. And he's trying to get into hunting and fishing. One fun fact about Mike his dad is a convert to the church and was not baptized until the year before Mike was born. Um, he is the second member of his family to ever serve a mission, following the, the example of his older brother, which is so cool. We're excited to have you on here, Mike. Oh, thank you for inviting me. This is great. I, I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. So, Mike, let's jump in. Why don't you go ahead and tell us what mission you served in, a little bit about the area, the the people there, the members. Absolutely. So I served my mission in uh, Ribeirão Preto, Brazil. Uh, I was there from 2002 to, to 2004. Um, we uh, That mission is the northern state of Sao Paulo, and then it reaches um, two other states on the sides as well. So it's a pretty big mission. It's pretty spread out. Most of the missionaries in Brazil, then when you get called, it's, uh, I believe, Sao Paulo itself, the city, has four missions. Um, so we were outside of there. Uh, we were just huge farm towns is what they were. Um, so our mission covered a huge, large area. So we had about 190 missionaries in our mission. The members and, and the people in that mission are just the absolute salt of the earth. Um, they would give you the shirt off their back if you asked it for them. Um, my mission was known as a very poor area. Um, they didn't have much, but what they had, they were willing to give anybody that asked and anybody that was in need. Um, a lot of the life lessons I learned were on my mission, and it was because of the people of Brazil. I, uh, sorry, I'm already getting emotional talking about them. Um, the people on the mission were just the most polite and selfless people you could ever ask for. Um, they, they had a really hard time saying no. And to a missionary, that was kind of music to your ears to be able to at least get in the door and to be able to teach that, that first discussion. Um, they're, they're very concerned about, um, hurting people's feelings and offending people. And so more times than not, if we asked to give a first discussion, they would, uh, they would welcome us to, with open arms and, and allow us to hear that first discussion. And, and so it was really neat as a missionary to actually teach the things that you believed to know and know to be true. Um, and so Brazil was a fantastic place for me to serve because I was able to, to teach as much as I wanted to, to be able to learn the language as fast as I could. And uh, I couldn't ask for a better place to serve my mission than in Brazil. 
That's awesome. Tell us about the temples. Were there how many temples were there when you were serving? How many temples are there now? Oh. You know, Brazil is night and day different than when I served there. Um, when when I was there, I believe they had four temples at the time, and that was it. Um, they had São Paulo was the first temple in South America, and I, I believe it was dedicated in 1978. And it wasn't till the year 2000 that they received two more temples. And then the year that I served my mission was the year that the Campinas uh, Temple um, was dedicated. And it was pretty neat because I was able to serve um, in the MTC in Sao Paulo. And so we got to actually visit the Sao Paulo Temple as well as the Campinas Temple for my eight weeks in the MTC there. And um, the, the big concern with us as missionaries were the people of Brazil, especially when I was teaching and, and preaching, uh, were they, they had a hard time with the principle of tithing and paying their tithing. And um, I'll get my, my notes here, but fast forward, man, I'm old, but fast forward 20 years from when I served, and it looks like there is now over 20 temples in Brazil. Wow. That is awesome. With a lot of them being dedicated right now, a lot of them that have just broken ground. And what was neat for us is my actual mission, the actual mission home area, they just announced a temple there as well. And so it was pretty neat to share that experience with those that I served with, with the missionaries that are currently in that mission and, and for the the hard work that we did for those two years and, and to be able to be a, an instrument in the hand of the Lord to see a temple going to those people. I mentioned earlier on the podcast, they are just the salt of the earth and to see them have a temple in our mission field where they don't have to travel for 10, 12 hours to their nearest temple is, is just a blessing uh, for, for those people and then for the whole country of Brazil. That is awesome. You are a man. I can attest to what you are saying. I got to serve part of my mission in Brazil and I love them. They, the people down there, you are right. They are the salt of the earth and they will just love and give you everything. I, oh, I have you saying you get you were getting emotional? Oh, listening to you. I'm right there with you. They are amazing. awesome to see the growth that's going on down there. Yeah, the growth around the church is awesome. That's one reason we have this podcast too, is to learn about the growth of the church and what it's like around the world. I think it's fun for us and for our listeners to hear what is the church like in different countries. What are the people like in here that the Lord really is gathering the salt of the earth? Right, just the best of the best, regardless of where they live. He's trying to gather them and it's fun to be a part of that and see that explosive growth so thank you for sharing absolutely okay mike let's jump into some of these experiences you've had so i'd love to hear from you what are some experiences from your mission where you saw the hand of the lord helping you with that gathering of israel oh my word um if you had a 10-hour podcast i could probably fill that entire 10 hours with the experiences that i had but uh, a couple of the ones, and, and and again, thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, I always remember the big stories uh, when I served my mission, but it was neat to go back and, and read my journal and remember the small stories as well. Uh, but there were a couple of, of stories that really stood out to me serving my mission uh, that I, I'd love to, uh, to go over. Um, I was in a, a city called San Carlos, and... Uh, it's one of the biggest cities in our mission. And in Brazil, you have quite a few cars, to have, but you have just as many motorcycles. 
And those motorcycles, they go, they're weaving in and out of traffic, and there's really no lane for the motorcycles. I mean, they are just going right through. There, there might be two, three feet of space in between, and it is just, it's crazy just to watch them fly around the roads. And uh, my time in San Carlos, as I mentioned, was one of the bigger cities that I served in, and uh, lots of uh, a high population as well as a huge area. And it was one of the few areas that we didn't walk everywhere just because of the massive size. And so there was uh, one day that we were visiting a couple and they lived on the other side of town. And so we decided to uh, take the bus. And we didn't take the bus very often. It was just for a select few families that we were teaching. And we hopped on this bus and we were noticing these motorcycles just waving in and out of these cars and we didn't think anything of it. We had seen it in the MTC. Um, so we were just talking amongst each other and talking to a couple that was sitting right next to us. And all of a sudden the bus just screeched to a complete halt. And everybody heard this large thud. And everybody just stopped talking. It was like that moment in time where you just stop and it paused and everything just slowed down. And the bus driver, he recognized us as missionaries of the church, and he asked us, he singled us out and said, hey, can you guys please come outside? I want you to take a look at this. And so we came outside. We were more than happy to help in any way, and we had noticed that there was a, an old lady uh, that had been struck by the truck, or by the bus, excuse me. And she was probably, she was pretty old. She was probably 85, 90 years old, and she had been struck dead on the streets. And so we were asked to help out with traffic control until uh, the, the police were called and that they could, they could come and, and assess the situation, decide what we needed to do. And so we waited for the police to come. And talking with the police, we asked if there's any way that we could get information about the family. And um, maybe not be the ones that broke the news to them, but maybe we could come in a day or two and let them know ex uh, exactly what had happened and maybe share a message uh, of hope and of the afterlife with them. And they said, absolutely. Uh, they, they handed us their wallet. We were able to jot down her information of where she lived, and we made it a point to visit her the very next day. And we went over there and just a humongous family. Um, and they lived in a very poor part of town. And it was pretty much, uh, it was a couple of brick homes and tents is where this family lived. And they, you could tell they didn't have anything. And we sat down and we talked with them and explained to them exactly what had happened to um, their, their mother and their grandmother and, and their great-grandmother to, to, to some of these children. And to our surprise, we had no idea, but the police had not been there yet. And so we were actually the ones breaking the news to them of what had happened to their grandma. Uh, they had assumed that she had gone missing. They assumed something wrong had happened, but they had not known exactly what had happened. And so we had the opportunity to explain to them what happened, um, explain to them that she was in no pain and that it was quite sudden and they found some comfort in that and we had asked them if we could say a prayer with them and share a message and with tears streaming down their faces they said yes if you could please just give us a message of hope 
And so we shared the first discussion with them. We explained the, the, the plan of salvation and that there was a God in heaven and that there was an afterlife and that they would be able to see that family member again. And um, we invited them. If you would like to learn more, we would love to teach you more. And we teach the same stuff at the church as well. And so we gave them the address of the church. We said, we would love to see you this Sunday, if that were possible. And so we waited a couple of days, waited till that next Sunday. And about half of the family members joined us for church that next Sunday. And we ended up teaching that whole family for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I, uh, I'm looking through my journal. I can't see exactly how many of that family, but I believe it was 10 to 12 family members that ended up being baptized. And it was just a testament to me how the Lord works in mysterious ways, how that tragedy could have torn down that family. And if someone else maybe had given them that information and we had never had the chance to be able to go see them, they still might have never even known about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But how the life of that one lady was able to change and affect her whole family for generations to come uh, was just a, a fantastic testament to me that the Lord is in control. Um, <laughs> we had nothing to do with anything. We were just purely instruments in his hands, and he put us on that bus at that time. And again, we never took the bus ever. That was a, I probably took the bus maybe four times my entire two-year mission. And that was one of the times that we were able to meet with that family and to be able to help that family come to know of their Savior, come to know of the gospel. And uh, it was a, a, a great testimony builder for me that the Lord is in control. Wow, I love that. And it's crazy because you're not trained for that in the MTC. There's no class around hey, if someone dies in a family, how to go about that, right? So it's crazy that the Lord puts us in those situations on our missions where you had to go tell a family that their grandma, great-grandma passed away, and there's no training for it. But because you had the Spirit with you, you were set apart as a full-time missionary in the stead of the Lord, that you had the words placed in your mouth and in your heart, right, what to share with these people. And like you said, blessings came out of a tragedy. I love that story because the scriptures are full of these things of missionaries being placed in crazy circumstances, but the Lord always has your back, right? So thank you for sharing that. What what other stories do you have for us? That was quite a story that it kicked off with. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And again, I've got so many stories I could tell, but uh, definitely one that I, I, I won't, would love to share is about a woman named Sylvia. Um, Sylvia is about a 50 year old woman and it's, it's interesting the, the way that we did meet her, we were on splits, uh, with sister missionaries. So we were meeting her for the first time with the sister missionaries. And, and in Brazil, it's, it's not uncommon for another member of the family. That's not the moms to breastfeed other children in the family. And so as, as we met Sylvia, the grandma, she was breastfeeding her two year old grandson. And I was taken aback. I, I didn't know what to do or what to say. And, and it, it was an interesting time. Yeah, there's no class on that in the MTC, is there? Absolutely not. And it was interesting and, and kind of funny when we look back at it. But as I introduced myself, uh, we were shaking hands and I could see some of her milk was on her hand that had gotten on to me. And uh, it was, we, we had a good laugh about it after. And, and it was an interesting way to be able to meet Sylvia. But 
Uh, Sylvia, as I mentioned, was another person that was just a salt of the earth. We, we learned to love Sylvia. We learned to love her daughter and her grandson, who we taught at the same time. And Sylvia was just so... Um, so, so so kind and just kind of loved everything. We could have been missionaries from any church and she would have listened to us. She would have gone to our church and she just kind of loved hearing different stories um, and, and different angles. Uh, but she did attend a Christian church that she was very fond of. Um, this Christian church was very lively. Um, in Brazil, especially us as missionaries, we always did the, we'll come to your church if you come to our deal. And so we got to visit her church uh, two or three different times, and they have a live band every single time that they would do uh, their their meetings. And it was good. I mean, it, it was fun. It was Christian's <laughs> rock at its max, and people just screaming at the top of their lungs. And it was a good time. You could tell people felt good when they went there, and they, they shared great messages. Um, so we we met with, with Sylvia, and we just became really good friends with her. And she uh, eventually, after we went to her church a couple times, she decided to come to our church, and she absolutely loved it. She was just the most social person, and she's just seen talking with any and everybody, um, and just absolutely loved it. But she had a tough time with change. She had a tough time with understanding that uh, there was one true church on the earth. And that was one thing that we really tried to hit home with her is that Christ, he set up his church on the earth and that it has been reestablished during these times. And she had a really hard time accepting that at the very beginning. Um, she just loved all the different churches that spoke of God. If you spoke with God, you're right with her and everything is good and everything is great. And uh, we had, uh, we met with her for probably the fourth or fifth time. And she had mentioned that she had had a dream uh, about a beautiful white building. And it had beautiful chandeliers, beautiful carpentry, and just beautiful setting and just a beautiful feeling inside this building. And she kind of described to us exactly what it was. And I didn't want to say anything to her, but it sure sounded to me like, like a temple, like the celestial room inside a temple. And so we came back the following day, and I, and I had a, a magazine that I brought from the MTC, and it had pictures of all these different temples across the world. And we brought her this magazine, and I'm flipping through the pictures, and we're explaining temples and the baptisms for the dead and the work that we do inside those temples. And we get to a picture of the Salt Lake uh, Celestial Room, and she points right there. And she just stops me and she goes, Shh. she stopped me from talking. And she said, that is the room that I saw in my dreams. And me and my companion are just ecstatic. She's saying, yes, it was a temple. Thank goodness. Absolutely. Right. And, and so we explained to her, he said, yep, this is a temple in Salt Lake. We have a similar temple that's in Sao Paulo. And we really worked with her on that angle that Heavenly Father, he teaches us in so many different ways. It can be led by the Spirit in so many different ways. And dreams and visions is one way. And not very many people have a dream or a vision like you had. And that really hit home with her. And that really changed her perspective of the gospel where, wow, if God is showing me this, he must be telling me something. Uh, but Sylvia, um, she had some other struggles as well. Um, 
she didn't feel like she was ready to be baptized because she felt like she had to know everything. It was never good enough for her. She, she had to know more and more and more before she made the decision to get baptized. And uh, it was a neat experience for me because as missionaries, we spend at least 30 minutes. We oftentimes would take an hour to be able to study individually by ourselves. And then we'd spend another 30 to 60 minutes to study with our companions. And there were some scriptures that I had studied at the time before I was in Doctrine and Covenants. And they talked about this exact same situation that Sylvia was having and if it's okay with you, I'd, I'd love to share the scriptures that I was able to share with her, if that's okay. Yeah, please. Awesome. Uh, so the, the scriptures were in Doctrine and Covenants uh, section, or sorry, chapter 6, and verses 11 through 13. And it says, If thou wilt inquire, thou shalt know mysteries which are great and marvelous. Therefore thou shalt exercise thy faith, that thou mayest find out mysteries, that thou mayest bring many to the knowledge of the truth, yea, convince them of the error of their ways. Make not thy gift known unto any, save it be those who are of thy faith. Trifle not with sacred things. If thou wilt will do good, yea, and hold out faithful to the end, thou shalt be saved in the kingdom of God, which is the greatest of all the gifts of God. For there is no gift greater than the gift of salvation. And it was one of those times I just shared the scripture. I, I didn't know what effect it would, would have on her at all. And... I look over, and she was not a very emotional person, and she just was bawling. Just the spirit completely overtook her, and she let us know that that's exactly the scripture that she needed in that moment. And she decided right after I read those scriptures, yep, it is time to get baptized. And it was just a, a really good reminder to me um, that, as missionaries and as members of the church, the more knowledge that we can gain by by reading the scriptures and being um, involved with them and, and studying them and pondering them, the more uh, the more we can share applicable scriptures with people that are struggling in their lives. And that's exactly what she needed. And if I hadn't taken the time to be able to study those scriptures that very morning, I don't know if she would have made the decision to get baptized. So Sylvia had a baptism date, uh, but we, we still had one more item to conquer, and uh, it was the word of wisdom. Uh, she really struggled with drinking coffee and smoking cigarettes. Uh, I, I believe she told us since she was 14 or 15 years old, she had smoked two packs a day her entire life. And when we told her and, and spoke to her about the word of wisdom, uh, she really struggled. Just those first couple of weeks, she would try to, to to stop for a day for 24 hours, and she would just get these massive headaches, these massive migraines, and it was really, really hard for her. And this went on for weeks and weeks. We kept having to push back her baptism date, and it was the one issue that she was having. She was able to, to conquer coffee like that after about a week, but cigarettes were a big problem for her. And so me and my companion, we did everything that we could, that we could think of. I remember two and a, uh, I don't recommend this to, to future missionaries or our current missionaries, but we decided to do a 48-hour fast, uh, first and only one I've ever done in my entire life, uh, about what we could do to be able to help her. And uh, we did this fast with that intention to be able to help her 
with these uh, with these struggles that she's having. And I remember after the fast, we went we went into her and and I felt impressed to give her a temple uh, temple recommend interview. Uh, not to get the temple recommend, but just to let her know what those questions were and to have her answer some of those questions. And as she kept responding to yes with her testimony and that the church is true and that the restoration had come to pass and that we do have a living prophet on the earth, she kept saying yes, 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 and all the right answers. And with those answers, I, I promised her. I was just prompted to the Lord and 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 felt compelled to tell her that if she will make the commitment to be baptized in one week, that the the Lord would help her conquer this vice of cigarettes. And she looked at me and she said, I absolutely will be baptized in one week. And my companion gave her a priesthood blessing. And it's a priesthood blessing. I can still remember parts of it. I wrote it down in my journal. That's how powerful it was to reaffirm that fact that if she committed herself to the Lord, that she could conquer all the vices in her life. And so after that time, we um, we visited her probably five times a day. <laughs> and those who have a, a baptism that's in the waiting know um, you, you just want to be with them all the time and just kind of see how she's doing. So we just visited her probably every other hour just seeing how you doing? How's everything? Is there anything we can do to help? And she said that first day was rough. But after that first day, after that 24 hours, she said she never felt the need to put another cigarette in her mouth the rest of her life. Sylvia is now uh, serving as a, a Relief Society president. Uh, she's also a temple worker. She's already put into the new temple that's coming in right now. She makes the six, seven hour drive to Sao Paulo to be a temple worker. And she's excited to make just the three-hour drive to the temple that would be in our mission. And the reason I love this story is because so many miracles happened. I saw countless miracles on my mission, but with, with Sylvia, it was three different miracles that I saw. She was one of the few that actually had a vision and saw the temple of God. She also received help with um, with a priesthood blessing that allowed her to conquer and, and the power of the fast that we had, that our focus was on her and the Lord helping her overcome these addictions. It, it was neat just to be able to see all of these miracles with just one person. And right after she got baptized, her daughter got baptized. And then when her grandson grew up, he got baptized. And if I'm not mistaken, I think she has this, with her other siblings and everything, she's got about 15 to 20 grandsons and granddaughters that have all been baptized. And it was all because of that experience where she was able to see the hand of the Lord in her life. And she was able to witness miracles and she's able to share that testimony with the rest of her family as well. So a, a really neat experience for, for me as a missionary and obviously a great experience for Sylvia. That is amazing. What a powerful story. Damn to see, like you said, all of the different miracles that happen in this one um, this one life and this one experience. And to see that for you and your companion, what a testimony builder for Sylvia to see that. I I just cannot imagine being a missionary and having that experience. That is amazing. Yeah, she sounds like an elect lady, someone I want to meet one day. Wow. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, and we had, we had a similar convert in my mission. I mean, she didn't have these visions. She didn't have that kind of stuff. But she was struggling with the vice as well. She had smoked since she was 16 and she was in her 50s. And she had that desire to be baptized as well. 
So very similar experience. We gave her priesthood blessing and she worked hard and she was able to basically quit cold turkey, which was amazing to see the Lord be able to replace this vice basically overnight. And now that doesn't happen for everybody, right? Uh, people haven't served missions yet. They will run into people that are struggling with the word of wisdom and it might take longer. But when the Lord is there and he's helping and they can rely on him, it's crazy what can happen, right? It, it's really cool to see them be able to replace a vice with virtue and join the church and get that place. That's awesome. So thank you for sharing that, Mike. And and one thing we know, you know, missions are never easy. They always talk about the best two years, but they don't talk about the hard stuff. So what kind of adversity or health problems did you go through while while in Brazil? Would you mind sharing? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, Brazil, uh, it, it kicked my trash, to be honest with you. Uh, <laughs> I love the people. I love the land. Uh, but I, I did have some severe health problems there. Um, as I mentioned in my mission, my mission was very widespread. It was a huge area. And there's only one set of missionaries that were allowed uh, bicycles. And then the, the APs, the assistants of the presidents, they had a car. Everybody else, it was your job to either walk to your to, uh, to be able to teach the people, or if you wanted to spend your own money, to be able to take a bus, which we did from time to time. And so walking, I, I'm guessing we walked anywhere from eight to twelve miles every single day, uh, just going back and forth and and trying to visit as many people as we could. And with all of that walking, at one time I had eight ingrown toenails at once. Look. And I remember my uh, my mission president uh, mentioning that in a, a mission conference as well, um, talking about my struggles with those those eight ingrown toenails. And I remember having surgery on those, and and that was the first two or three months of my mission is what I uh, what I had from there. I also had some weird viruses. I'm not sure exactly what they were, but I had a rash uh, that went all the way from my belly button and it went all the way along my right side of my hand, all the way to my right wrist. And it started to get into my fingers as well. Still to this day, I'm not sure what it was. I was I was so concerned about them sending me home that I, I tried to keep it as tight-lipped as possible. I didn't want as many people, I didn't want people to know where, where they were going to send me home. And so I, I tried to deal with it as best that I could. Uh, but the the biggest struggle and biggest adversity that I, I had for sure uh, was I, I did contact a, a tapeworm. As I mentioned, uh, Brazil would give you, uh, the people of Brazil would give you anything that you need. And my mission was very hot. Um, most days were 90 to 100 degrees. And walking around as much as we did, we would oftentimes just be desperate and we'd ask for, for water um, for people around the street. And... Uh, there were lots of times you could look in the glass and you can actually see live bugs in the water that you were drinking, but you were just so desperate to have something uh, where you're just so dehydrated. And I'm pretty confident uh, drinking some of that water uh, was the, the cause of my tapeworm. Uh, but yeah, I lost a lot of weight. I lost over 40 pounds in, in a little over five or six months. And... And they, they say the mission is the hardest two years, and I can attest to that, both both spiritually and physically. My, my body was worn down, uh, but it was a great opportunity to put my trust in the Lord and to be able to let Him help me overcome these trials that I faced. And praise praise to Him, I was able to finish my mission. Uh, by the time I went home, everything had, had, had gone through, and I was able to be made whole by the end of my mission. So it was a, a great testament to me that, that Heavenly Father answers prayers, 
and that he won't let you, uh, he won't give you a trial that he knows you can't overcome. So yeah, yeah, the the mission, it's it's the hardest, but the, the most amazing two years that you will ever serve. Wow. I cannot even imagine. The eight ingrown toenails sounds so hard. <laughs> it, it is hard when you are walking around in hot weather and you just want a drink so bad. I I can understand that you mm-hmm. you want to just drink anything somebody will give you and and it's hard. Oh man, that is tough. But to also realize all of the blessings and the miracles that you see during those two years. Yes, it can be so hard and so miserable some days, but the blessings of the sun makes it so worth it. So thinking about about your mission and all of these life lessons that you that you learned on your mission. How have you been able to see that and use those lessons in your career? Uh, you you have this amazing career and backstory bio about basketball and and all that you've done with basketball. Will you share with us a little bit of your backstory about basketball and and then kind of share some of those life experiences that and lessons that you've learned? Yeah, absolutely. So my my family is a big sports family. My my sister, she played college basketball for four years, and it was really neat to be able to follow her, and she was just my idol. She's 13 years older than me, so I had a, a chance to be able to follow her whole high school and college career, and it was a, a neat experience for me uh, to be able to uh, to watch her and the dedication that it took for her to, to be able to be the, the player that, that she became. And so basketball was always ingrained in me. I just, I love sports. I love sports of all kinds, but basketball had a special place for me. Um, so I was able to play high school and then I was able to play a year at Rick's College in Rexburg, Idaho. Um, and this was the last year that they had intercollegiate sports. I think technically they had changed the name already to Brigham Young, Idaho, uh, but it was the last year they had sports still under the name Rick's College. And so I was I was able to, to play there and had a great experience right before my mission, before I, I went to Brazil. And I, I had plans after my mission to be able to go play somewhere else. Um, I had high aspirations to go play at BYU. Uh, but obviously the, the tapeworm that I, I had, it made me lose over 40 pounds and I lost a lot of my strength, a lot of my size. And I was not able to pursue that opportunity at the time. And so I, I kind of took a break from basketball for a year or two. So I decided to go back to Brigham Young's University, Idaho. I was familiar with there. I, I wasn't married yet. And so I thought, hey, what a, what a great place to be able to date uh, women that, that were of my faith and have the same beliefs that I had. And so it was a great opportunity to be able to go back and just focus on my studies. And during the summertime, I worked for a company called Vivint. Um, at the time, it was called Apex Alarm. And I installed and sold alarm systems every summer. And uh, we were in Charleston, South Carolina, one of my favorite places in the world. And uh, I had started to play basketball a little bit more, started to get my strength up a little bit more. And uh, I was able to play a lot of pickup basketball there in, in South Carolina. And we were playing at a high school in one of the areas that we were working at. And one of the coaches said, hey, they've got a, a professional team here. They're the, the development league, just the league underneath the NBA. And they've had a rash of injuries and they are holding open tryouts. And I've watched you play and I think you'd be a great fit. Um, I could put a word in and I could put you on the tryout list. 
So I said, absolutely, that sounds like an absolute blast. And so I, I was able to try out. There was uh, 15 players that they flew from all over the country and a couple of local people. And somehow, some way, I was one of the two that they picked up for the team. And so uh, it was a neat experience. I was still able to work for Apex Alarm, and then I was able to play in their home games and to be able to practice with them for the rest of the season. Um, and it was a really neat experience to play professionally, uh, to be able to get paid for something that, that you love to do. And uh, the following year, um, I went to, let's see, I was in Pensacola, Florida. It's probably three or four, I'm guessing probably five or six hours away from Charleston. And and I got the call again saying, hey, we've got another rash of injuries. Would you be willing to fill in for the rest of the season and play with us? I said, oh, absolutely. My word, I had a blast and I'd love to. And and so I was able to play for that team for parts of two seasons. And I, I came back from there. I came back to BYU-Idaho and I, I finished uh, my academic career. And I realized I just have a passion for sports and passion, passion for basketball. I wanted to stay in that sport. And so I, I went and got my master's uh, at Drexel University in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in sports management, of all things. And uh, I finished that in two years, and I started to get into coaching. So I, I went, I'm uh, sorry, before I went into coaching, I, I took an internship at Westminster College in downtown Salt Lake City, and I did a bunch of things for them. I worked on their sports website and was interviewing a bunch of their athletes, and it was a, a good experience uh, to be able to be around those athletes and to be able to kind of get a college feel that I, I didn't really get. I then was able to find a job uh, as an assistant coach, assistant men's basketball coach at Westminster again, and I coached there for a season. And after that, I was able to take a job at Utah Valley University, and I became the assistant director of basketball operations for Coach Mark Pope, who's now uh, the head coach at BYU. And I was able uh, to focus on the, the traveling itinerary. Uh, I was the film coordinator and a video coordinator. And um, I was also able to uh, develop the players to be able to take them one-on-one -on -one or two-on-one to be able to help their skill sets for parts of three seasons. And I loved it. I loved every minute of it. A great experience for me. And uh, to me and my wife were talking and we were thinking, you know, what can we do to be able to bring what I love, the game of basketball, and, and turn it into a career? And we got the idea that we could train local athletes uh, in the area and to be able to teach them the game of basketball. And so we started a, a basketball training academy. Uh, we named it Ball Out Utah. And my wife also played college basketball. And so it's a, a natural fit for us to be able to, to teach these kids and and we started that about five years ago, and it has been such a fun ride. We started with 63 athletes the first year that we did it. And this last year, we just finished in October, we finished with 300 athletes this, this last year. It's probably the greatest job that you could ever have, teaching young athletes the game of basketball and teaching them life lessons that you can learn through basketball, teaching them the importance of hard work, of dedication, um, and then the, the, the other things that you learn from sports, heartache, frustration, um, injuries, and overcoming these trials that they have. So it's been really neat uh, to be able to use basketball as well as the foundation that I received on my mission from the gospel of Jesus Christ and to be able to teach people life lessons, to be able to teach them that the Lord is always there uh, no matter how much we're struggling and that he wants effort. The Lord loves effort, as we've learned in, in, in a recent uh, general conference talk. 
and that when we can give effort and give him that hard work and dedication that he's going to provide for us. It might not be how we see fit in the moment, but eventually he will get to where he wants us to be if we are willing to follow him and be an instrument in his hands. And so it's been really neat to be able to combine basketball and the gospel with my career and it's just a really fulfilling, uh, it's been a really fulfilling career so far, and, and I hope to continue it uh, uh, in, in the hereafter. So, Awesome. That is amazing. That's a great, great career. So are there any experiences when you were playing, you know, professionally out there where someone asked you about the church or why you lived the way you lived, and did your mission help prepare you for those experiences? Absolutely. So uh, as I mentioned, after a mission, I lived in Charleston, South Carolina, and Charleston, an amazing city. But when I was there, and this was back in 2005, right around that time, I mean, it, it might have changed now, but the, the church is not very big there. Um, I don't remember even having a single ward there. So it's just a bunch of branches of 30, 40, 50 people that are in these branches. And so living there, um, you don't get a lot of contact with members of the church uh, anyway. And then when I was able, had an opportunity to be able to play basketball uh, for the team, there was no contact from members of the church. I was obviously the only member on the basketball team. And serving my mission, I wasn't ashamed of it. It might have been different if it was before my mission. I might have kind of kept that close to my chest. But after my mission, I was willing and able to share what I knew to be true with any and everybody. And so I remember taking some long, long bus rides uh, with our team. And then slowly, the more and more they got to know me, asking me more and more questions and it was really neat to be able to share my testimony with them and to be able to explain as we're driving by some cities that had temples, to be able to point out a temple. Ah, so that's the temple I was telling you about on the on the bus ride. And to be able to explain to them my faith. And to my knowledge, I don't know if any of them have joined the church, but it was neat to be able to introduce them to the gospel. My dad, he's as, as you mentioned earlier, Carrie, is a convert to the church, and it took him seven years of meeting with the missionaries before he got baptized. And so I'm a firm believer in planting seeds, of doing good deeds, of teaching little tidbits to people about the gospel. And I, I truly believe I was able to do that. And I was put on that team for a reason to be able to plant some seeds and hopefully they can sprout sooner rather than later, but at least they, they got a taste of the gospel and, and it was really neat uh, to be able to plant that seed for them and my teammates. That's great. And that's cool to hear that it set you up your mission for success, like sharing the gospel more. You're more bold. So your mission helped you know, change you in that way, that you're more bold in your testimony of the gospel of the Savior. How else were you changed by your mission? So we also heard that it maybe affected your career, right? You got sick, made so you couldn't go play at BYU. But how are you changed, you know, positively? And, and would you do it again, right? It obviously affected your career path, but would you do your mission again? Absolutely. I... If I had the opportunity again to serve a mission again, I would go 100 times out of 100. It was the best decision that I ever made in my life. It was the anchor of the testimony that I hold true today. Um, I had a completely different plan for my life. I planned on playing a year of basketball before my mission, serving two years, playing three more years, and then possibly going abroad and playing in Europe or, or getting some serious money. That wasn't the plan that Heavenly Father had for me. 
I mentioned that I met my wife at BYU-Idaho. When, when we met, they didn't have basketball then. So if I had followed my plan, I never would have met her. And I, I truly believe that she is my soulmate. She's my best friend. She's the person that I cannot wait to live eternity with. And I never would have had the opportunity to beat her if I hadn't had those trials and adversity in my life. Uh, so I'm, I'm very thankful for the plan that Heavenly Father had for me. I look back and, and I mentioned the adversity that I had on my mission. And if those things had happened before my mission and they weren't on my mission, maybe in high school, I can guarantee you I would have been angry. I would have been angry with God. I would have been angry with with just life in general. I just would have thought everything was unfair. But because of the trials that I had on my missions, I was able to think ahead. Just thinking, okay, Heavenly Father has put this into my life. What's next? What does he want from me now? And so I'm very thankful and grateful for the adversity that I had on my mission. I'm thankful that I had those health concerns, that it changed the whole trajectory of my life uh, because it, it taught me important lessons to never give up, to be strong in the gospel no matter what, and to stay positive, to always have, to always live your life with that glass half full to be thankful for the blessings that you have and to go forward with faith, not looking backwards, but going forward with faith and looking what, what does Heavenly Father have in store for me next? Love that. What a testimony to see even through trial or adversity to, to see that you would go again and again on your mission. You would choose that. And um, I think it's amazing that you did choose to see the glass as half full. That is a struggle, I think, for all of us. That is a constant battle in our lives as we have these trials and these afflictions that we go through, that we trust in the Lord, that we trust that His His path for us is going to be the best, that it's going to be better than anything that we could imagine. I know throughout my life, I have hit those same, uh, those same learning moments in realizing I had a completely different plan and I wanted that plan to go just perfectly because it would have been great. But afterwards, looking back, realizing, wow, Heavenly Father, you knew what you were doing. You knew the timing. You knew the trials that I needed. You knew the blessings that I needed. You knew exactly what I needed in my life and the things that I needed to learn. What what a powerful testimony. Thank you. Do you, do you have any other advice for members that you would want to share or or advice that you have for youth considering going on missions? Advice number one, share the gospel. Share what you know. Share your happiness. Uh, it's tough. Um, it's, it's, you learn in sales that uh, sometimes it takes 10 no's before you get a yes. But I can promise you at the end of this life, people are going to be more upset with you for not sharing the gospel then they're going to be upset with you for sharing the gospel and possibly offending us. Be bold. Share what you know. Share your testimony. Build your testimony through the sharing of it. I mentioned earlier, my dad took seven years from the first discussion that he took to getting baptized. And if people had invited him to, to attend the church and to be baptized, and he said no, and they stopped inviting him, 
he never would have been, uh, he never would have been baptized. He never would have been the strong member that he is now. He has now been a bishop. They just returned from a, a couple's mission in Nauvoo. He's got over 25 grandchildren that are all members and strong members of the church that are serving missions. That He has two great grandchildren right now, and it's because missionaries didn't give up on him. And more importantly, members of the church did not give up on him. So my advice to the members of the church is share the gospel, be bold, be kind, be loving, be caring, be understanding, but share the truths that make you happy. Uh, Share the gospel. So my advice to those who are uh, for the youth of the church, go on a mission. Uh, surf. Decide now that you're going to serve a mission. It's a hundred times easier when the time comes to serve a mission if you've already decided. It's a hundred times easier to make that decision when the time comes to go serve a mission. Um, I mentioned that I have had so many life experiences, so many testimony builders in my life, but my anchor of my testimony was placed in those two years that I served the people of Brazil. So if you have the opportunity, you have the means, serve a mission. Learn to love the people that you are serving. Learn to love the struggle that you are going to have in those two years. Build your testimony and then share the testimony that you create. So that's my advice. Love that. Yeah, thank you, Mike. And it's been great having you on here. I think for any of our listeners who listeners who are considering you know, serving a mission are worried about it, like, oh, I can't leave you know, school for two years. I can't leave my career for two years. I can't go do this. Or maybe it'll set me on a different course in life. Like you mentioned, right? You had your plan. I would, you know, say my advice to our listeners too is like you're saying, go on a mission. The Lord will not only put you on the right trajectory for the rest of your life, but you will also set other people on the right trajectory for them for their eternal lives, right? Your impact on all these other people that you help teach the gospel, help the spirit convert. I mean, we won't even know the impact right until the next life. It'll just ripple across right. families, across generations. So it's it's worth it, right? No matter what struggles the mission brings, what difficulties, you are blessed and everyone you teach and help bring to the Lord are blessed. So thank you. Thank you for sharing these experiences. And I think, I mean, you've definitely uplifted us and we hope our listeners have learned a lot from you tonight. So thanks for joining us today, Mike. Thank you for having me. It's been, it's been a blast talking with you guys. Thank you again. Yeah, thank you to all of our listeners. We hope you've been uplifted and inspired by Mike's experiences and his invitations to go and to share the gospel and be kind. So thank you for listening. We'll see you all next time on In the Lord's Vineyard.